Hey, what's up? I'm Joel Madden, and this is Artist Friendly. On this episode, I'm talking with Grammy-nominated musician and co-founder of the band Incubus, also founder of the biotech company Mother Science, Mike Einzinger. Let's go. I don't want no bad times. I don't want to have bad Waking up is nice, but a lot of times I'll see someone out there, and then we'll talk for 30 minutes, and then... We miss like good stuff. No, we actually haven't spoken. We've, yeah. We've texted, but we haven't like actually spoken. That's it. And we haven't actually been in the room together. And if honestly, if we think about it, probably like years. I oh, think, for sure. Have we ever run into you? I think, I think the last time I saw you was at Hetty's house in Malibu. Way, way back. This must have been 10 years ago. Crazy. I think we've been in a couple of rooms together, but just Since like in, in passing. Yeah. I've seen you a couple places. Like, I don't know if it was like Grammys week or Oscars week or some something event that I've seen, but it was in passing. It like was one like, of Hey, these, like, good like, to see like, you. Like... But it's like a packed room and everyone's, <laughs> mo- you're moving yeah. that way. And I'm going this way, which is always nice, but I'll always like hard to see people when you're in a packed room full of, of so much personality. And 100%. then also like, I find those big parties. Well, sometimes I enjoy it. I have to say, if on the right night, it's nice to get dressed up and go with your wife and go to, if you're with the right group of people, you can go have a fun time, but it's very hard place to see someone that you actually really like and want to like catch up with and have a real meaningful conversation. Absolutely. I know we've seen each other at some, thi- I forget where, but I, but, uh, but it's been a few years. It's definitely been a while. But I follow you on Instagram, so I feel like I'm tuned into your life. Exactly. As much as as much <laughs> as, as, as much want, as we can. As much you as you know. want me to be, uh what the things you show. Yeah. Uh and you know Nicole, you guys go way back. Way back. And she loves you. Love her. You get a real warm response whenever I bring your name up. <laughs> when you started Mother Science, because I've followed and I want to know about how you started it, yeah. but um when you started your your um would you call it like a, a a skincare company or more of like a a wellness company like what would you call it a biotech company biotech yeah we were not planning on we had no plans to start a skincare company we weren't we we weren't even um planning to start anything that had to do with like you know a consumer company we were trying to answer a scientific question right and then once we you know, got to a certain point with that, then we had to make a decision about what we were going to do with the technology that we developed and commercializing. It was sort of a different endeavor than, um, investigating a scientific hypothesis. Right. And they're wildly different things, you know? Okay. So I, I want to know about that and I have a million questions. So, but before I go there, when you started talking about it, Mm -hmm. I said to Nicole, Oh, Mikey started a, a skincare in my mind. I was like, yeah. Oh, a skincare product. Well, by the time you pro you found out about it, it was, that's what it was. And then I dug into it and the, the information you give when you look into the product is super science, uh, focused. So it makes sense that you're saying it's a biotech company. Now this is one of the products that the technology can, that applies, right? Yeah. We, we wanted the, we wanted the best and highest use of the technology and also to get 
the technology into the commercial world right. in the most expedient way possible. And an accessible way that people could experience one aspect of the technology, right? That's right. So when I told Nicole, oh, Mikey started a skincare. So very base level. That's, <laughs> she was probably was like, like, huh? No, she was like, yeah, I totally see that. Because <laughs> I said there's a there's an aspect of there's a there's a proprietary quality or characteristic of the product. I, I was starting to break it down for her because I get super um, interested in uh, innovation. Yeah. And when I see someone and so we have a ton of stuff to talk about because I think artists are some of the most innovative people because we come from a more a different angle. And we have a creative kind of approach to things and we, we don't live inside boxes. So anything's possible in our mind, right? Absolutely. Um, so when I told her, yeah, Mike started a skincare thing and, and I, um, I bought some and it's amazing. Um, she was like very excited because she loves you. That makes me happy too. I just, you know, it's like I, I haven't seen Nicole in a long time either. I probably saw her the last time I saw you. Yeah. And, um, you know, but we go way back. Yeah. She By the way, it. I was just talking to Catherine Power right before I got love here. Love Catherine. And Catherine says hi. And she was like, tell Joel I say what's up. Yeah, and I And she Catherine. thinks it's like, I, I told her that you were using Mother Science. And she was just like, she was like, that's so awesome. She was so happy about it. Yeah. I swear by it now. So before we talk about Incubus, because I want to talk about Incubus, yeah. I want to talk about where you started and where you're at. But mother science here we are so we're already talking about it and i'm because i use it i'm so i'm a big fan um, well that makes me super happy too so well i see honestly so i'm a big uh i wouldn't say i'm like a skincare junkie because i'm not but i just like to get something that works absolutely and use it every day yep and this is since i started using this i swear people nicole and my you know, people, my friends, whatever, ask about my skin some days, right? <laughs> and you're like, what? On a good day when I've gotten some, when I've got enough sleep and I drink enough water, um, but I can see a difference in and and not only can I see a difference when I use it, but but uh, for me, it's how it feels. So I've tried everything. I don't like a greasy face feeling. I need something that goes on after the shower and I feel good. Yep. Right. And I feel like, cause I, after I get out of the shower, I just feel dry. Yep. And so I need like a serum of some kind and I've been trying expensive stuff. I tried Kiehl's, I tried this, I, every, the whole spectrum of everything you could try. And I always think like, oh, I kind of found it. It's good enough. And then when I tried mother science done, I ordered like, eight bottles because <laughs> I don't want to run out. Well, you just got four more. And so. I got four more. I swear by it. And I tell all my friends, I'm like, yo, try that. You'll never use anything else. Well, it's funny. I And it lasts. The bottle, you get one squirt. Yeah. It goes on. It, a whole bottle, it feels like it's, it's a really great product. It's very simple. And it, and it does something really good for your skin, which is... Um, you know, which was obviously like our hope was that it would, you know, have that kind of impact. So I'm super happy to hear you say all that. Um, and what I was going to say is um, I was really surprised. Um, you know, I'd never posted anything on my social media about really any product 
specifically not a skincare product. Yeah. So when, when it came time, like, you know, we'd been developing the technology behind mother science for six years. Before. And what is the tech? So it's a, a molecule called malasazin okay. that is naturally produced in the microbiome of your skin. Um, right. It's produced in small amounts, um, but it does really good things for your skin. And there are a lot of compounds that are naturally produced in the skin. Um, compounds like, and when I say compound, I mean molecule. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, hyaluronic acid is naturally produced in the skin. Okay. Um, azelaic acid is produced in the skin. Um, you know, lots of different vitamins are produced in the skin naturally. And, you know, over the years, over the decades, people have figured out if you give more of some of these things to your skin, it really likes it. It's really good. Um, you know, it's not that way with all things, but, you know, your skin likes hyaluronic acid to a degree. And basically, malasazin is something that is produced naturally in the skin microbiome that we sort of came upon. Um, and we weren't the ones who discovered its existence, but we were the first to basically use it for some purpose. Um, we wanted to understand what was causing um, this sort of lightning effect that happens in a very harmless skin condition called tinea versicolor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but no. it's, it's a skin condition um, that happens on, you know, most people at some point in their lives. It's one of the most common um, skin conditions on earth where you just get these lightened areas. And my wife, Anne-Marie, uh, she was in India at the time this happened. She um, just noticed that she had these like lightened areas of skin on her. It was like, kind of on her back. And we wanted to understand, like she kind of just had this realization like, wow, I, I have this like totally, it's harmless. It's just sort of a, a change in appearance. Right. And um, my wife was is like- Is it with age or is it- No, it happens okay. to actually mostly to young people. Okay. Um, it can happen to anybody, but mm. most commonly it affects people age 15 through 25. Okay. So kind of is more prominent on the skin of young people. Okay. Um, but in response to this sort of thing that happens to your skin, um, your microbiome produces uh, more of this substance called malasazin. Mm. And um, we just sort of had this hypothesis that it could be sort of having this, you know, brightening effect on the skin. And Anne-Marie just said, well, what if you could use this, this compound for a benefit, formulate it into a skincare product and, you know, potentially, you know, improve like dark spots on people? Yeah. Um, that was sort of the ethos behind it. But then we learned a lot more about it. You know, it's a very potent antioxidant um, and it has a very profound calming effect on the skin. And that's how it impacts texture, lines and wrinkles and things like that, um, which is all super fascinating. You know, we dug into this scientifically. Um, we surrounded ourselves with, you know, lifelong pharmacologists, you know, dermatologists, um, a, a, a dermatologist named Dr. Pearl Grimes, who's um, spent her entire career researching pigmentation. Um, and Pearl um, Grimes. Yeah. Dr. Pearl Grimes. I mean, she, yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. She's here in LA. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a team of people that, that have spent their lives studying, uh, skin physiology, you know, like cellular signaling in the skin and yeah. how these systems talk to each other and work with each other. And, um, for me, I just got obsessed with it from a scientific perspective. I wasn't like, a skincare, you know, fanatic in any way, shape or right. form. This was sort of like a Rubik's cube I wanted to solve. And it's yeah. like, uh, 
it's like any other thing, you know, like you were saying, creativity and innovation for me, whether it's musical or otherwise, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. It all scratches the same itch for, for me. So once I get obsessed with something like that, like I, I kind of can't put it down. Yeah. You're, you're kind of like a, you're a gamer. Yeah. You see a problem, a Rubik's cube of some sort, and you want to solve it. A lot of the guys and people over history that are the great kind of like inventors, innovators, um, imagineers, um, not necessarily uh, well-learned students. Um, so imagination does come into- 100%. Creative comes in. <clears throat> Absolutely. What I always say to, when I talk to, um, you know, most of, the most of the time I spend these days in my work life is building companies and executing ideas that we think would work for more people, um, whether it's the music company or uh, the media company or uh, the tech company. Um, most of it is how do we have a creative approach in an organization that can build things at scale? So we need all the different kinds of people in the organization. We need people that are, are more organized and administrative, uh, but we need creativity because creativity always kind of, uh, you think outside the box and you come up with ideas and you're naive enough to believe you could come up with a well, new Well, that's way. one of the most powerful things is yeah. that in certain cases, that naive mindset can be very, very valuable. Like you can, you sometimes like, you know, the dumb question that like a five-year-old would ask is really like the one that no one's asking, but needs to be asked. If it were simple, how would we do it? You need one side of the conversation to be grounded in information. Mm -hmm. And one side of the conversation has to be head in the clouds, creative. When you find a good match, really it's, it's powerful. And some people can do both. Some people have the brain, the, both sides of the brain are working. Um, I think it's possible for everyone to develop their brain to work on both sides. But um, I think part of your success is you kind of do have a little bit of both. You, you're a creative guy, but it feels like you were, were you a good student? I was a horrible student when I was young. Okay. But were you always um, then, interested in like science and I was, but I had sort of a, I would call an adversarial relationship with academics as a you young person. everything? I was just, you know, I just didn't like being told what to do, I guess. And right. I had a lot of energy and my, my, my mind was just sort of all over the place. But then I went to college as an adult and that was a totally different experience for me. Did like, you do well? Yeah, I did really well. That's awesome. Yeah, that was like, it was actually a very rewarding experience for me because I felt <clears throat> in many ways. Didn't you go to Harvard? I did. Oh, wow. I don't want to say I felt defeated by academics as a kid because it was like, I just never felt good about it. And it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't because I didn't think I could do it. Um, you know, I was like, you know, putting gifted education as a young kid. Actually, that's where I met Brandon. We were in sixth grade and we were in the gifted program together. Oh, wow. Um, but I kind of hated that because, you know, we were expected to do more and I didn't react well to that but did you want to be in gifted like no I, oh, it was sort of a you know when you're in sixth grade you're like you know nine years old or ten or whatever right and um you know i think that was just like my parents you know they wanted the best for me they wanted me to get the best education that i could um but i had my own stuff going on you know as a young kid and um then when i 
you know, when I had the opportunity to, to go to college as an adult, um, the learning experience that I had was just violently different. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it, you know, my whole, I didn't feel like my whole future depended on my success or failure. I was there to learn. Right. And so I sort of went in, you know, with this mindset that I'm going to, I'm going to study music academically for the first time in my life. Cause I was really just a self-taught musician. But then when I got to Harvard, I realized like I can study whatever I want. Did you know music theory when you started learning music? No. Oh, wow. All. I always assume it's funny. I've always regarded you as like one of the uh, great guitar players. Oh, thank you for saying that. And um, I'm a good faker, but I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. That's funny because I always thought you, I was like, he must be classically trained. <laughs> I just listened to a lot of interesting music, I yeah. think, as a young kid and was influenced by by people who were really good at playing. Wow. So I think maybe I could, you know, fake my way to make making people think I like understood what I was doing, but I was just emulating, you know. The well, people. at some point you actually did learn it. And I would say a bunch of people agree that you're a, a great guitar player oh, thank uh, you. and you have a really cool take. Like well, thank I told you Brandon, I was like, Mike, he's like a freaky genius with guitar. <laughs> um, but it, it's cool because it's perspective. It's, it's your take on guitar and it doesn't seem like it's constricted by any other kind of rock music. I mean, I just listened to like kind of the most idiosyncratic mix of music when I was young, you know, I was all over the place. Like I, I just, I was interested in so many things for better or worse, you know, like just never felt sort of hampered by, you know, I have to sound this certain way or, and I was like that almost like with my friends too. Like right. I had friends that were like, you know, like stoner metal heshers, we used to call them. Yeah. Um, you know, punk rock kids, skaters, yeah. you know, I surfers, um, you know, like the sort of like jocks and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I kind of was just friends with everybody. I didn't really have any particular identity. I mean, I was like, a, I guess you could sort of loosely categorize me as like a, a surfer skater kid. Yeah. But I just sort of seamlessly like kind of like I was friends with everybody. Like yeah. I didn't, I mean, I knew that like there were these sort of different friend groups, sort of cliques. But I just was cool with everybody, you right. know, and, and I and I feel like my approach and I never considered it like an approach. I'm just talking about it that way, sort of retrospectively. Um, that's just how I rolled through life. You know, like I just I just kind of absorbed everything. And I was um, that way with music. Like I would listen to Slayer and the Grateful Dead and, you know, Led Zeppelin and, you know, Stravinsky and like I would listen to just everything and like you know the Minutemen and Firehose like I, I was just taking all of that in and all of it was fascinating to me and so when we started the band it was kind of like oh god like what is this gonna what is all this gonna equal but I wasn't even thinking of it that way that's just what I was acting out and you know writing all of our first songs and doing all that it was just like again it was just like the most fun that was just the it was like the greatest time like, I'd rather be doing that than anything else in the world. If you could say there was a record or a handful of records that really kicked off your interest in guitar, what were those records? I mean, the first songs that I really started learning how to play on guitar that I could teach to myself 
were like early like Metallica songs. Right. Like, you know, like like Fade to Black, like yeah. uh one. <clears throat> yeah. Um, like, you know, like like that was just like, you know, again, it's like that like solving that puzzle. You yeah. know, like these are like little puzzles that I'm trying to solve and like and actually having a little bit of success at it, like, wow, I can play this. Now I can play in front of my my brother and I can play it in front of my my friends. Yep. It was like a, a cool party trick, you know, yeah, like yeah. everyone didn't know how to play that stuff back then. Right. So those were like really formative. But, you know, that was a really formative period of time. I was about 12. Right. You know, I was at a friend's house and his older brother was playing Van Halen songs in his room on his guitar. Mm. And I was just like mesmerized. I was just like, I got to do that. You yeah, know? I remember seeing uh, people play live and especially my first concert, but even just seeing other kids play. And I was mesmerized that they could do that for real. Like it was like magic to me yeah, it's magical. to see that, you know, at, yeah. at age 12. You make that sound come out of that? I, I mean, you know, I actually picked the guitar up when I was eight because I was really into rock music. I loved right. like Van Halen and, and, you know, there was all this like really cool music in the early 80s. I wanted to do that. You know, I thought that was cool. And like my mom got me this little guitar and this little amp and I started taking lessons but it was like I was learning how to play, like, you know, learning how to read notes off of a page. And it didn't I didn't connect that to like Van Halen in any way. It was like they were totally different. And I had no one to show me, you know, like right. if I had somebody, if I had like mentorship at that age, like here's how this sounds like that. And someone showed it to me, I would have been hooked right then and there. But I put it down at that age because I just thought like this is boring. This doesn't feel this isn't what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I got bored with it quickly. Um, and then at age 12, you know, seeing my friend's older brother play the way he was playing through an amp in his room, and it sounded right. like that. I was like, oh, I was obsessed. I think there's something to um, genuine interest and discovering something on your own. 100%. It's almost like a key to the journey like you have to find it. It's the authenticity of it. You yeah. Know? Like I definitely. think when other parents ask me, like, how do I get my kid into music? Um, that's a really hard question to answer because I've found with music, especially with artists who uh, who have careers, and this, it, you know, at MDDN, a big part of what we do is artist development. So we find people really early that we think are special. Yeah. And then we don't know how long development takes it could take you 10 years yeah some people it's two and they're out there and their songs are getting big and so it's hard to answer the question of like how or when there's more of just a feeling of like oh that's special yeah like what makes you happy what makes you feel good you know yeah. like the, the the way i always answer that question because i get asked it a lot um is the thing that i did not have uh when i was really young that i think sort of at least gave me what I needed at age 12 was um, there was a disconnect between the music that I liked that personally like was inspiring to me, but then like what I could play. Right. You know, so I think that a good place to start with respect to that question about, you know, what do you teach a, a kid or a, what do you tell a parent who wants to like, you know, get their kid into music? It's like, what, does the kid like music, you know? Are like, they interested? What are they, what are they into? Like, is, if the kid, like, loves, you know, Lady Gaga or what? Like, my daughters, like, love Lady Gaga. So they play violin. You know, their mom's a violinist. Mm. She teaches them, you know, according to, like, the Suzuki method. But 
they also learn songs that they just like like to play and when they can play those songs like there's a joy that comes out of that yep that's sort of like that's to me that's like what will drive everything like once you have that feeling of like being a, able to play a song that you genuinely connect with it feels way different than like reading notes off of a page or like playing something someone else asked you to play like and there are, there there are reasons to do that but i think if you start from a place like you know this is my favorite song learn your favorite song and somebody yep. might be like well that's too hard for you fuck that try it you'll you'll be able to get it you know yep. what i mean like nothing's that hard that you couldn't like you just can't even attempt it yeah you know so i think that's like the best place to start that's kind of where where i always go is we'll have your has your kid asked if they've asked great feed the beast whatever they want if they yep. want to try piano or guitar or I mean, they can't do it because you want them to you know right. like I mean, you can, there's a version of that. But. There's a version of you forcing your kid to do a lot of things um, there. And there are some things that are important, like eating right or whatever. I mean, you know, there, there's, uh, uh, but finding the version of it that they enjoy is part of that. I think likely the age you started because, you know, 12 is, is, is still young enough. I mean, it's young to get into something. Also, I think there, it sounds like your parents allowed it and they were supportive which yeah. is a big part of yeah my mom um was a music teacher when i was a kid oh that's cool so she you know she was very supportive of of me and my brother and my sister making music in the house she was supportive of you know the band our first rehearsal we ever had was in our living room and then we ended up like having kind of a rehearsal space in the garage and none of that would have been possible if you know if my mom wasn't supportive of that so she and she really was and what about your dad my dad's a doctor um he's, he's an amazing guy um i don't think his first choice would have been for me to be a musician you know? right like he didn't quite get it i think he just you know he he grew up in a different generation you know he wanted me to get you know the quickest route from point a to point b to have a successful life right and and he didn't want me to have to struggle so i think like in his mind, he would always tell me not to be a doctor, by the way. Right. <laughs> but I think that he, you know, wanted me to take the, the, what he perceived to be the straightest route, which is like, you finish school, you go to college. And then, yeah. you know, in today's world, obviously that's kind of all out the window. Yeah. That doesn't, uh, it yeah, doesn't mean no. that I don't think there's value in college. I think there's incredible value for, for college, but it just depends on the person and what, what they're into. I mean, I didn't go that route. I, I went to college, you know, as an adult and, you know, I didn't even finish. So <laughs> I, yeah. I just got distracted by other things. You, whatever it is you needed to get out of that, that question you needed to answer by going. I got more out of that two years than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. And, that, and, and I think where I run into problems sometimes is I overanalyze things and always look for the value of, 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 of everything I do. I, Sounds like a good thing. <laughs> so, so it can be good, but it can also get in your way. So I always have to remind myself to get out of my own way. Sometimes there's a feeling versus an idea of if, you, of if you find a good balance for that, you know, like, yeah, um, my kids get tired of me going, oh, yeah, you know what? There'll be a lot of value in that. What you could do is and then we <laughs> and I start pro, I start trying to get into some process where they're more like, I just feel this way. I want to do this. Yeah. And there's a lot of value in that. People who can act on instinct and have good instincts and talent have success. Uh, there is something about speed sometimes. Definitely. So if we look at something and we can process, if we can analyze something and go, 
this needs to be done this way. There are processes that take a long time. And inside that process, there's many processes that actually can all be quick and they can all lead uh, to things in the bigger, greater process. And then there's opportunities that you need to be able to be quick because it's a, it's an opportunity that your instinct tells you, yes. Yeah, there, are mo there are moments of like momentum. Right. That are good and to, that can know, really trigger the bigger process, right? So I always kind of analyze, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, and I try to get it right. But a lot of it is just learning how your brain works and how you function. Yeah, I found that um, therapy over the years has just helped me learn how to organize how I think about things. Yeah. You know, just yeah, sort of so. like, it's almost like um, when you feel, you know, that, that feeling you get if you, if you have all these things you need to do and you, you make a list, you know, like you at least feel like, okay, got a handle on this. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. You know, for your life. Are you kind of like a big ADD, ADHD guy? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I was ever like, was ever like officially diagnosed as ADHD or ADD, but most of us aren't though. I mean, you know, I, I definitely have that aspect of my personality. Like yeah. my, my mind just wanders into all sorts of different places. And I like, and that was a, a challenge that I had continually as a young person, um, just not being able to sit still and not being able to focus on anything unless I was obsessed with it. And then I would like sort of singularly get focused on certain things. That's the, the strength of it. Pointed at the wrong thing, you're, you're, you feel insane. Pointed at the right thing, you feel hyper-focused yeah. and obsessive in all the right ways where you can actually achieve things. Cause you've also done a lot of songwriting and done ton. You just, you're, you've been involved with so many artists. I've definitely like had a, had a fun time, like working on lots of different things, you know, getting to create music with my band, um, you know, work with other artists, you know, work on film scores. Yeah. Like just a lot of different things. Didn't you work with Hans? Yeah. When, Do you still? Um, not currently, but you know, he's like a, you know, he's like a, family member you know like we're, we're we're close we'll always be close legend and we spent a lot of time together you know and Anne marie my wife and i when we first sort of got together hans was kind of like uh like a person that we had in common right and Anne marie had been sort of like hans's musical right hand for a while before like when when we first got together and hans and i were friends for years and we always would kind of like you know, joke around like, oh, when are we going to make music together? Right. You know, we, we, we'd always kind of dance around that idea. Um, and we would just sort of hang out. And he's like one of the most conversationally gifted humans on earth. Cool. He, he's so fun to talk to. And so that's the kind of friendship we had. And then once we sort of triangulated this whole thing, like, well, you work with Anne-Marie and like, we're all, you know, we're all close with each other. Um, we ended up uh, scoring a bunch of films together, working together together. Um, just becoming really, really close. Um, so we did a lot together. And then Hans back in, I think it was 2016, you know, he would say to me, like, I just want to do what you do. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I want to play, I don't want to be making music in a dark room with no windows. Right. Like he's like, I want to play music in front of people. Right. And he would say that all the time. So um, when he decided like, I want to put on a show, like, you know, Anne Marie and I were there for that and we helped him, you know, put together his set list. Yeah, kind of helped them organize and how to do it. Yeah, like, and cool. that was really fun. You know, my relationship with him up until that point was really like him sort of sharing his world with me. 
So it gave me an opportunity to kind of share some of my world with him. You know, like this is how we play shows and this is what we do and this is how we tour. And, 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 you know, not that he was like, you know, like he didn't need my help for anything. Well, but experience is one of the, like, I think what we do in rock music because it's kind of a, uh, an accessible version of music, um, because we're not scoring a symphony and it's maybe not looked at as, as, uh, complicated, um, Actually, executing a good live show is a complicated, precise thing. For sure. It's, it's not easy to be a great live band. No. Um, <laughs> and so executing something live in real time, it takes experience, practice, and Confidence, talent. too. What's that? It's confidence. Confidence. Like self-belief. Yeah, precision. Know? If someone's out there listening to this and they're like, I have this idea and I've started my company, but I don't know how to do that. They could likely look to their community and find someone who is good at that and ask them for help. We don't do that a lot, especially artists. We're shy to ask people, hey, would you come help me do this? I need to, I, I've never done this before. And I think that's a great example of pulling resources and in, in, in community. Yep. And it's also why being conscious of your community, being a good productive member of your community, but also picking people you respect yeah. and spending your time with people you respect and admire. Well, there's, there's no better collaborator that I've ever met than Hans Zimmer. It feels like that. He is just, he, he works with a lot of different people and you know, there, there are some people in the world that would criticize him for that, you know, yeah. like, Oh, he's got all these other people. And it's like, no, the guy just really knows how to collaborate. And it's what has, sustained his career for decades and decades and decades of making this incredible music and not just making the incredible music, collaborating with directors and creating these audio visual masterpieces. And it's, it's not just like, yeah, he's a great musician, but there are a lot of great musicians. His superpower is his ability to collaborate. And, you know, when, when he wanted to tour, um, you know, like it was, really fun and exciting because it was like this new chapter for him. And it was really fun for me to be able to be around that. Didn't um, he do a bowl show? I think I went where he performed somewhere. So at the time that Anne Marie and I were with Hans and performing with him, it was all in Europe and it was his very first time okay. doing okay. that. So yeah. we, you know, he, he was like, you realize like, if I'm going to go do this tour, he was like, I'm taking Anne Marie with, with me. Yeah. He was like, he was like, I'm not doing it without her. Right. And I was like, okay, well then I guess I have to go too then. Cause yeah. you know, and he was like, cool. So me and Hans and Anne Marie lived on a bus together for three months in Europe. That was his first tour that he ever did. That's and it was cool. like, it was so, it was such a fun time and such a great experience that we made a live video of that. It's on Netflix. Oh, cool. It's, it's called like Hans Zimmer live in Prague or, or something like that. And, and it was amazing. Johnny Marr came out and like, you know, Sick. played all these shows with us. And like, I mean, Sick. what a dream you know, like we're playing Interstellar and we're playing, you know, like Inception, you know, Time from Inception, like all these iconic songs, uh, pieces of music. And it was so different and fun, you know, like I, it was just like, what a joyous thing to be able to do with your friends. Sick. You know, like, and, and outside, outside of being in a band, you know, playing like, you know, a bunch of the venues that we played with Hans were like places that, you know, Incubus has played yeah. many times. Yeah. So it was kind of like, this is a different take on 
this thing that I've been doing for so long. Yeah, it's ref it's probably really refreshing and it cool to even go back and visit some of those places. It was and, awesome. Yeah, it, it was it was awesome. What a unique, it's legendary shit, fun man. experience. And I have so much love for for Hans and his family, and like just what a great group of people, you know. What guitar do you play? Um, I've been playing these sort of custom Telecasters. Oh, cool. You mean like live? And yeah. Playing live. Yeah. I, you know, I had problems with my wrist. Yeah. Years ago, I had surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm. Um, I just, just overuse. You know, yeah. Like just <laughs> years of sports <clears throat> abusing my, yeah. my, my playing. You know, I, um, I had a very specific way that that happened though. Like, and it's kind of a funny story. I'll tell it quickly. Before I had a guitar tech or any help on, on the road, you know, we were just setting all our equipment up and breaking it down ourselves and all that. Um, touring in the van and I didn't have a guitar tech. I only had one guitar. I didn't even have a backup guitar. So if I broke a string on stage, I was kind of, you know, it's kind yeah, of a pain in the fucked. ass. Yeah. So I started playing heavier and heavier gauge strings until I stopped breaking them. Right. And I got all the way up to like 13s or 14s, which is like kind of unreasonable, right. especially for somebody playing rock music or at least, you know, like the kind of music we played. Right. So once I did finally get a tech, and like support and like I was so used to playing these like crazy heavy strings that if I ever like picked up a normal guitar, it felt like a toy to me, like rubber bands. Right. So I stayed with those really heavy strings for 10 years and it totally ruined my. Isn't that crazy how like such a small thing you don't, I wouldn't even think of the gauge. You got to play so hard. Player. You have to press down yeah. much harder. It feels really good though. Like in a certain way to like be playing these like, you know, crunchy heavy chords with these big heavy strings and i i like that part of it too but i just damaged myself over years of touring so you like have that. to get a custom telecaster so I, I i play these really light sort of semi-hollow guitars and you know light gauge strings that's what feels comfortable for me right. i like the consistency of it i don't really change guitars too much on stage um because i just like things to kind of stay the same it's good for my uh, i only get so much use out of my playing you know right. so i got to Good. You know, I mean, I can still play like, you know, at a high level, but, um, you know, everything gets harder. You get older, everything. Yeah. <laughs> My brother plays, uh, bench plays Telecasters and he plays Sirs. Oh, cool. What's your rig? Um, you know, I, I just have the, I've, I've had the same rig for quite a while. I use these, you know, Mesa boogie combo amps. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of effects pedals that are the bane of my existence, but you know but you love them but they but they were what i used to record all this music right, so, so you have to replicate I, I, mean, I mean i could totally just like put it all into some sort of multi-effects processor and hit one switch that does it all but i've never quite felt good. never same. felt good about doing that you know like that's, that's called integrity part of the performance is like all the crazy tap dancing i have to do while i'm playing and yeah. it kind of ties me to like Otherwise, I guess I wouldn't know what to do. Then I'd have to like perform like normal people do. Well, <laughs> actually, though, I think as a fan, when you watch you when you watch you play, you want to see that. It's a it's watching someone navigate sound. I mean, I guess you know, back from where we come from, like yeah. you and I, as musicians, you know, like the time period that performance really like meant something. You know, it I did. think to like the way that stuff was recorded and. Like that was really a big thing to me. Like, was it recorded live? Like, did you guys actually play it like that? Like now, you know, anyone can do anything. So there's like no, 
there's no up or down as far as that's concerned. But that like really meant something to me. And I think that the reason why I still do all that is because it still means something to me. I think so. I think you it know? would likely change something about how you're playing it. I mean, all of a sudden I'd have to start being like, let me see your hands. Like, no, I, it doesn't, it doesn't feel natural to it me. It wouldn't either for me. I unless like... I'm, unless I'm doing it in like a humorous way. Yeah. Like humor is like everything to me. Um, but I wouldn't know how to like, perform in that way you yeah. know it's like I, I play the music but like being a performer as like someone with like stage presence I don't even like know what that is you know like I mean yeah. I do know what it is but I mean it's just I don't know I don't that doesn't that doesn't feel natural to me as a human I like that you know but yeah. I mean whatever we can call it whatever we want right yeah yeah it's cool I know Incubus is so when this airs you guys will be kicking off another leg of a tour so we're starting in April um, in Australia, New Zealand, and Asia. Okay. Which will be the first time that we've been there for a while. So I'm actually really excited about that. Yeah. Um, you know, the pandemic kind of shut everything down for a yeah. while. And I think at the time, I think we were planning to go and do a bunch of touring, you know, in other parts of the world. And then everything shut down. And we've just been sort of slowly kind of getting back online and, and, and you know, going and visiting other parts of the world but you know we spent a lot of time you know touring in asia touring in australia touring in south america and so like it really made me appreciate like how amazing an experience it is to go and play these concerts all over the world like that so yeah i'm very excited to go back to australia new zealand you know like we have so many fans in like malaysia you know indonesia like the Philippines, like, it's just amazing. Like, I, it's so much fun to go. Yeah. So really looking forward to that. And between now and then, um, we're working on new music kind of for the first time in a while, which is also exciting and fun. I said this to Brandon. It's It, it just feels like one of the bands that um, it stands the test of time. So your records hold up. I still listen to Incubus probably every day. That's awesome. It's like it, a, a few of your songs are on my, I have a playlist, this like growing playlist that I, I have. Um, it's mostly like music over the decades that, that, that songs that stick with me. So I have this just running playlist and I play it every day. And when I work at my desk, I have my playlist going and it's on, it's on random, it's randomized. No, so, that's great. So um, you guys are probably better live than you've ever been. I think I've all, I found that with like, like good Charlotte. I think we're the best live. We played live uh, a, a month ago or two months ago, at, when this is out, three months ago. So we played a few months ago. I think we're the best we've ever been live. I think something with age and time and... Yeah, I mean, experience. Experience, you know? like we're, we're better live. We add some things in. We know how, how to, to, we know how to execute a live show um, and we care. I think we're better and more thoughtful and more focused and people are getting more out of our live show than we've ever been able to give them. And I think you're poised to make great records. So when you decide to make a record, it's going to be a good record. Um, Hope so. <laughs> I never, you know, it's funny, like the writing process, because it's so not non-formulaic for us, it really has to just come from, like we can't really plan it out. Like it just has to happen. I feel that way. You know, it, it's like one of these things where, you know, people are like well why don't you just make it sound like this or make it sound like that and it's like we can't even if we tried we couldn't 
<laughs> well, but no one else could make an Incubus record. You know, we just re-recorded Morning View. Yeah. Which was another thing, you know, that's what we've been up to. Um, which was, you know, if you'd asked me like two years ago, like, oh, go re-record your album or whatever, I probably would have just been like, why? Yeah. Like, why would we ever do that? It's been so much fun. Like, well, I, I think it's genius, man. I, I actually got inspired by that. And I said to, to the band, I was like, we should re-record all of our favorite songs. You should. Imagine how they would sound now. Nothing will ever take away those the original recordings. Yeah. Like, no, nothing will ever take... It's not like you're going in and like changing the thing that was there before and the thing that was there before is gone. It's not that at all. Like you're 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 just sort of reimagining it however you want but you also know. the songs like take on a life of their own and then isn't it possible that when we go to re-record it and we do what we do naturally which is just try that the song is also going to kind of lend itself to the new the new version in a way that it's never because it's been living for decades it's just what it's whatever you want it to cool. be now you know yeah. and 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 all i can say about going through that process was that it was super fun. Like we just had a blast doing it. And it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like revisiting an old friend with a new outfit on or something, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like, and you know, we worked with some new people that have been awesome. You know, we, we worked with, um, and we did a lot of it ourselves. We worked with Tom Sarowski, who's an engineer that, you know, worked with us with Brendan O'Brien for a lot of years. And then, um, we've been working with Adam Hawkins, who's a mixer and, um, he's, just awesome. Like we've been having a great time. It's been a lot of fun. I got totally inspired by that. And I said, that's great. We, sh we should go and re-record our favorite songs and see what that feels like. Yeah. Because also think about this. You're bringing back from the time you made that record to now you're bringing back into the studio. Now all the experience you've had out there on the road, all the experience you've had working with other artists, all the experience you've had working with, with, with Hans, with mother science, you're bringing all this different kind of like experience and different information. Energy, you know? It's just going to be a whole different thing. And that's that to me, that's cool. Like as a fan and you're like, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Like, you know, everything just sounds a bit different and you know, some things are, you know, like pretty accurate to like, at least, you know, what we were playing on the original recordings. And then there are some things that deviate a little bit. And, and all I can say is the process is really fun. And, you know, we've been playing with Nicole, who's been playing bass with us for yeah. a while. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, Ben had to step away for a while, um, you know, for a health reason. So, you know, Nicole, Ben actually recommended Nicole. Um, I don't know if you know Nicole Rowe. She's uh, I mean, I know her in relationship to Incubus. Yeah. I don't know her personally. No, she, um, you know, Ben actually said, you know, like you should get in touch with Nicole. She's like an incredible player. And she is like, she's a monster. And um, like, so that's been like really interesting and, and fun and different. Um, you know, she's a lot younger than us. So she just has this energy and yeah. I think it's infectious for everyone. And um, so that's been part of the recording process as well. Um, and been fun. Just, you know, it, the experience always changes and, um, and it's good for it to, to continue changing. And um this will be our first time ever like re-recording an album and then like, you know, playing um, sort of <laughs> in response to that. Yeah. And all I know is that like when we did that at the bowl, it was just so much fun. 
like we had a great time. And yeah. like, I think again, like at one point, if you would have asked me like, you know, about doing that, I might've been like negative on it. I might've been like, oh, that's cheesy or like whatever. But right. it's like, what's cheesy about that? It's our fucking music. Like we should play our music anytime we want, anywhere we want. But I think that you got there naturally. Had to arrive and there on my own. I think that cheesy is just another way of saying inauthentic. And I think when we do things too soon or because, or for another reason. Yeah. And I think the reason you guys are doing everything right now, I can feel it, um, is why everyone wants to see. Because when an artist shows up and they want to paint, they paint. And then you're like, I, I want to watch that guy paint. It looks like he's really fucking into it. Or, you know, any anything where someone feels compelled for no other reason than they feel like they have to do it. Mother science is a great example of that is you're compelled to figure something out. We all start to watch. It's why people watch people play video games online. Yeah. Um, it's amazing, by the way, that that like that's a that's really such a big thing like people really just want to watch it's entertaining when someone loves what they do and they're trying to win even if they lose it's, it's why we watch sports yeah. they both when when we watch people where there's something i think actually at stake so again i take this to anyone listening that is trying to do things make sure that what you're trying to do is what you actually want to do because when you start down that road and you actually uh, start competing with yourself more and more people start watching and they start participating in some way because it's authentic to what to who you really are and I think that's the thing about incubus that's probably the word is like like where you're at is authentic it's not like watching a band trying to recreate something from the past or or be something else to fit the the pop cultural moment of the it's this great band being a great band doing what they think they should do when they want to do it. There's something about that that's compelling because we see so many people that feel a little bit directionless. Yeah. There's no criticism to anyone. I, I just don't look at music that way. So I, I, I don't hate any artist. Um, but I always notice people when they're doing something, I'm like, I want to see what's going on there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's artists who are compelled to do something. Definitely. And it feels like that with Incubus. It just feels like you guys are compelled and you're also just really good at, well, we only do it when we're compelled. Yeah. You know? Like if we're not, we don't. You yeah. Know? I can feel that. That's just the way that we've always been. And it's badass when you see people live their lives that way. I think it's what inspires all of us to try to be a bit more like that. Uh, Cause it's hard to as well to say no and wait for your conviction. Or know when it's the right time or whatever. Right. Because it's like no one tells you that. Right. Like there's nobody sitting there going, you know, like, okay, like at this time we're going to do this or that. Like they can say it, but it doesn't mean you feel it. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to, there's like an inner compass you need to have. It's awesome, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate What's next it. for Mother Science? Um, we're going to launch another product, um, you know, at some point, I remember in next year, probably early-ish in the year or maybe mid-ish year. Um, and we're really excited about that. Um, and can you say what kind of product or is it early? Not yet. Too okay. early. But okay. it's going to happen. Um, and this product is doing very well. And we're really, really excited. And pe awesome. people are really connecting with it. What I was going to say when we were talking about this earlier is, you know, I never posted anything about like, you know, skincare or anything like that. And I was nervous. The very first time I po like posted something about mother science, I was worried like 
people are going to be like, oh, that's lame. Or like, yeah, I was just like, I don't know. It's just out of my comfort zone. All of us are like that. Totally out of my yeah. comfort zone. But then I was just like, oh my goodness. Like Incubus fans love skincare. Overwhelming like, response to anyone I show this to because it's good. I'm telling you right now, it's not a sales pitch. <laughs> when I give someone this thing, I go, no, trust me. This is I'm not. You're going to be our you. brand ambassador, dude. Um, you know what? I naturally I will be because I I love I love the product. But I think that it's a good lesson for people listening. Likely, there's someone out there with something they made that people have said yes to a bunch of times. They've showed it to their friend. They gave it to their they gave it to a stranger, and everyone's been like, "This is great," but they're still afraid to go all the way with it. And this is a great example of like putting yourself out there with something you care about. If you're being real and you care about you're vulnerable it, vulnerable. If you do that, it's vulnerable. Yeah, and I was. I had people. anxiety about it. I, I of totally. Course. I mean, but I still did it. You know, like it takes it takes courage to to put yourself out there in ways that like are out of your comfort zone. And it definitely was like a bit out of my comfort zone to you know launch a brand like this and promote it on my on my social media. But I was actually like really excited because like the reaction the that I had to it was like, dude, it's, it's, it was off the charts. It's 10 out of 10 every time. Every time I've shown this to people, it's 10 out of 10, the packaging, Man. the product, and, the, and then actually using it and how it feels. But that reminds me of this show. I wanted, I've been doing this for years. I've been having these conversations and I've been trying to get to the bottom of, of, of happiness, success. Like how can people, how can we demystify success? How can people obtain success in their everyday life? Because we've gotten to experience that at different levels. We've gotten to have success in music and, but you can carry that success. You can, you can like call, you could clarify things you did right and replicate them in other areas in your, in your marriage, in your fitness, in your, all the different areas. You can replicate success if you take the time to try to understand what you did. Yeah. And that to me is what I think at zero cost, can we give people whatever information we have and some of it we might articulate and some of it we might not, but they'll, they'll listen to our conversation and they'll pull something out of it that they can try to apply in the problem areas for themselves or the challenging areas for themselves. And we can get them there faster at no cost. The Absolutely. cost is time, right? Yep. And so that's my goal always with these yeah. conversations is yes. Also as a fan, I love talking to people that I respect. Um, I've always have been just a fan. Um, but I get a lot out of it because then I I'll take this conversation for the next week and it'll, things will strike me and it'll help me in other areas, but everyone can experience that everyone listening. So many incubus fans listen to the conversation I had with Brandon. So they're going to enjoy this just because they're a fan of you, but there's likely some piece of information they get from you that they'll be able to apply in a place in their life where it'll help even a little, it's worth it. Um, so for an hour of your time, if you get an idea that you can carry for the rest of your life, and then you develop your own philosophy around that, because that's the other thing is I don't think it's a one size fits all in the sense of, of our application of an idea. It's how we tailor that idea to our life in a way that it becomes our own version of that philosophy. Again, I love to see creatives and musicians go out and innovate things. I really do think that, that creative people have way more potential than they think in their medium. 
Um, they think they're kind of boxed in by the art they do. You need to have the audacity to, yeah. do, to do other stuff. You just have to. Like that's the, I think that's the biggest hurdle for, for people to overcome is just getting out of the, the comfort zone and making yourself vulnerable by putting yourself in a position to be judged. But that's yeah. just, that comes with, you know, being an artist. All artists have to deal with that or they don't, or they, they stay in their bedroom or their basement or whatever. You know? Yeah. Thanks, Mikey. Yeah, man. All right, bro. Tell your brother I say what's up. I will. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Artist Friendly. If you really liked it, you can follow, like, subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Amazon. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time. Bad time.